entrepreneurs and executives run their businesses with a renewed focus on integrity and resist the temptation to fake it, which only sabotages success. Yes, uh, friends, we have uh, Sabrina on with us in, in our show today. And Sabrina is a renowned PR expert and she is coming up with an interesting book, Make It, Don't Fake It. We will uh, spend some time on the book and we will today, we will learn about the PR hacks and tips and tricks that, that exist today. And with that, uh, Sabrina, welcome to the to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Beautiful. So let's talk about your journey. What brought you to the world of PR? Walk us through uh, the exciting world of PR. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes it's a little too exciting. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm a career public relations professional. Um, I am a child of German immigrants. Um, they are both self-made entrepreneurs. And so I, I always had that in my DNA and had a passion to someday hang out my own shingle, uh, which I did after only four or five years of business experience. <laughs> so I, I knew enough to be dangerous, but I had no leadership or management training. And uh, I started the Horn Group, which was my public relations firm, specifically for the technology industry uh, when I was 29 years old. So now you know how old I am. Uh, it was in 1991. And um, you know, we, we work with thousands of startups and all of their CEOs, the venture capitalists, um, the whole ecosystem of the, of the tech industry. Uh, and we started off in Silicon Valley. Then we went to uh, Boston. We had an office in New York. Uh, also, we were in Seattle for a cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, when the internet bubble burst, we didn't have very good timing there. Uh, but, you know, but uh, over 24 years, we, we, you know, put a lot of companies on the map, right, and uh, built up their brands, and uh, some of them went public, some of them were acquired, and of course, other startups don't make it. Um, uh, and then uh, after about 20 years, I started to think, what should I, what should I do next? So um, ultimately, the firm, my firm was successfully acquired by Finn Partners in 2015. And uh, they are a global marketing consultancy, about 100 million in billings. I ran their technology practice for three years and then decided it was time to do something else, uh, spend some time with family and, uh, and write a book. So here we are. Awesome. I think what, what I found fascinating, um, and, and we'll talk about the book very soon. So what I find fascinating about the timing of, of uh, the Horn Group and, 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 and your journey through PR is disruption through technology. So Amazon was, was coming in, Google came in, we, see, we saw dot-com we saw burst, we saw a lot of evolution happening, a lot of way the consumer habits change, and, and PR to, to many degrees, the messaging of it very related to that. So walk us through the evolution, what that you have seen um, of, of PR as an industry. Um, that will be helpful. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, back, back in the early 1990s, public relations was much more of a tactical function of marketing. It was all about grinding out press releases. And in Silicon Valley, there were maybe only a handful of firms who were considered to be st strategic public relations agencies. 
Um, and I worked for, for one of them. It was called Blanc and Otis. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from uh, Maureen Blanc and Simone Otis, who were the, the co-founders of that firm. Um, but that was really kind of what I thought was the was the the ticket to to not just execute and grind out press releases, but to offer thought and strategy on what messages are the right ones to lead with and what customers really want to hear um, what a value proposition is, <laughs> for example, <laughs> a small thing, but very important. Um, and so, you know, the I think public relations as a biz, as a profession evolved from being tactical to becoming really like uh, one of the most strategic um, functions within a company, uh, advising the C-suite and operating uh, with a seat at, uh, at at the board level. Um, and you know, it's not just about publicity anymore. It's it's more than just earned media, right? It's it's really about all forms of communication to, to reach any audience you need to reach, whether it's through social media or even through advertising or through video. And yes, even still through a press release, you know, that's all public relations. And, um, you know, I would say the best public relations today, the most strategic public relations is all about risk assessment, where you're advising, whether it's your own CEO or your client. You know, what are the threats and opportunities you have to consider as you move forward and and then coming up with a communication plan to support it? Interesting. And um, as as an as an entrepreneur of, of um, who is who is basically either riding this wave or going through this wave, how should like what are some of some of the common pitfalls that you have seen that uh, businesses fall into? when it comes to their understanding of what PR firm is and what they're supposed to do? Yeah, well, uh, so there, there's a few. I mean, the the worst is, is right when you have uh, an executive who comes to you and says, uh, we have a crisis, can you make it go away? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's not the job of PR. It, it's to deal, actually to deal with it um, and to navigate through a crisis and come out the other side. Um, another pitfall is, you know, when uh, marketing executives say, you know, well, we just want to be like that company over there. C can you just make us be like them? And it doesn't work that way. You know, you cannot uh, put lipstick on a pig and you, you, can't, you can't paint a, your Prius red and make it run like a Ferrari. Like you have to be, you have to be authentic. Um, uh, but, you know, it just really comes down to like, you know, it's it's not about spin. It, it's it's not about being something that you're not. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. Interesting. And I think it, it, it's interesting you're saying that. So I was I was talking briefly with you before this session. So whenever whenever you read any book um, from a PR, PR executive, whether it's Ryan Holiday and all that, it looks like a John Grisham novel when it comes to crisis management, to do this, do it's it's fascinating that how much spin and how much things are going are so i think it's it's a refreshing thought from um, hearing from you is okay just just do things right so yeah yeah exactly like um you know there are plenty of examples right um but a, another common mistake is um when you're being you're too big for your britches and you're way out over your skis 
you know, it, it's, it's not uncommon to find uh, CEOs in Silicon Valley who have a head full of steam. <laughs> and, you know, they're, you, you, it's good to have a vision, but you still have to be operating from a basis of, of where you are today mm. and reality. Um, but, you know, it's also on the other side of the spectrum, more established brands can fall into uh, the pitfalls of becoming complacent, um, where they're not innovating anymore, so what they're communicating isn't fresh, mm. and um, and they don't do the right research, right? And, and there's so many examples, like um, uh, Harley Davidson, for example, right? Motorcycle, Rough Rider, right? They decided mm. to get into the perfume business. Mm. Didn't work. Cos Cosmopolitan uh, magazine for women decided to get into the yogurt business. Mm. Like people just wanted to buy a magazine. They, they didn't want yogurt. So, you know, that, that's where like you have to get centered again. And then that's where public relations and marketing really play a, a very strategic role. Interesting. So um, I was I was talking to one of the one of the largest automakers and one of uh, and and we were talking about um, sort of their their adoption into electric cars and this was like five se five seven years back so there was no there was no Tesla's conversation it was just coming up and people were skeptical so and 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 they were they were talking to me hey you know what I have this massive PR firm and they can put uh, as you said uh, lipstick on the pig so if I I, I asked them to do it, they, they do the magic and, and you can sort of see that, that aspect that many times businesses look at these PR firms as those like wonder, wonder organization or basically Hogwarts where they can, they can turn things around uh, and mm -hmm. make, make nothing or something from nothing. So what, what? has, what has been, what has been your um, uh, observation in the industry as a PR executive? What role has uh, is PR playing today in in ensuring that um, like, yeah there, there is not not too much fictitious stuff going on? Like, what's what's your take? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, certainly that has been the case. What you described, and my firm was guilty of it also. Um, um, in the long run, what happens is that whatever it is you're putting out there is isn't really very authentic or may not be exactly the truth. And then the truth comes out because the company cannot deliver. So for example, mm -hmm. you have this great new product and it's going to do all of these wonderful things, right? And, um, but it, the company has no customers, no, no references, right? This is the first thing a, a good reporter wants when they talk to you is, which of your customers can I talk to? Oh, well, you know, we'll get back to you, <laughs> yeah. right? And um, so, like, it, it's a, it's a short-term strategy that just doesn't play out in the long term because the truth it always comes out. And I think in the wake of COVID and the pandemic in the current climate, you know, getting back to, like, authenticity and what is the truth is even more paramount. Like... Mm. People are so tired of fake news and fake it till you make it is, is right in that genre, right? Mm. Uh, people want to know what is the truth. They want to know that it's not going to change tomorrow or next week. And of course, sometimes it does. The truth unfolds with time and a crisis. But 
you know, right now, public relations is all about like, it's just, it's just the truth. And sometimes the truth may not be very sexy, <laughs> but, but it's, it's better, right, to, to, to operate that way in general, um, and especially right now. Interesting. And um, so that, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting point. So um, if, you, if you talk about uh, technology industries or if you talk about, so right now, almost every technology is disrupting or they are disrupted. They are the disruptors or they are being disrupted. It depends on which category you fall into. In, in both the scenarios, as you rightly pointed out, that when you're not, when you're not having too much action happening and you are the one causing a lot of action, right? And you don't have a, any product release, the product stays the same. But it's it disrupting, right? So when you are you are in a disruptive times, you are if you are if how would you think of a PR uh, when when you when there's a lot of chaos happening in your industry because everyone wants no one wants a me too product, everyone wants to be different. But when you when you see that the market is so obscure that uh, the product is so obscure, everything is getting disrupted. What's your take? Yeah, right. So, I mean, that's like the guerrilla warfare of marketing, right? Like there's always the 800-pound gorilla or the 500-pound gorilla. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, there's the number two or the number three player, and then there's everybody else. Mm. And it's very noisy and very crowded, and people start all sounding like they're saying the same thing. Mm. So good public relations there has to try and find a different angle on the story, right? It's In the end of the day, it's all about telling a story um, uh, within the confines of, of course, the truth, right? That sends a compelling message to people who might care to get them to listen or to embrace it. And, you know, that, that's when you have to go into uh, your creative group, right? Is there a survey that you can issue um, and and ask some very provocative questions, right? Getting out of your comfort zone and asking questions that make people uncomfortable, you know, still that can lead back to sort of a core value proposition that catches the attention of people, um, can cut through the noise, right? And then there are also things that companies do that have perhaps more of a, a budget, like using celebrities, for example you know, to support a cause or um, CEOs who write books <laughs> um, to create an argument for what their vision and their technology is. So, you know, that's when you have to get really creative and use all of the things that are in your wheelhouse and those that are not. Um, I remember once we, uh, this was back in the late 90s, we were launching a company that made one of the first workflow engines, um, workflow technology, right? And um, we put on a show with actors on a stage on Broadway and invited the press to come to see a different way of presenting this information than from a, a regular old boring press conference. Mm. So, you know, you do what you have to do <laughs> to get the attention, right? And there's and that was absolutely 100% authentic because we were saying, you know, what was true about it and we had even customers on stage, you know. So um, that's where you have to get creative to stand out. 
Interesting. And um, if you are an entrepreneur, so from from your vantage point, what are businesses or startups doing it wrong when it comes to PR or their approach to PR or their approach to brand building? What are some of the common uh, issues that you have seen that they're easy to fix that businesses are doing it wrong? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of gets back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Like, um, a lot of startups don't spend enough time thinking about who they are. And they talk more about, they talk more about what their solution is than the problem that they're solving, right? They haven't fully um, defined their value proposition. And so when you, you know, when you create a brand, by definition, a brand is the emotional connection that a, a company has with customers, hopefully, right? And it creates trust. And so what startups often do is they don't want to do all the work to create a brand. <laughs> you know, they're moving so fast. And but but what they're saying isn't connecting with, with prospects. They haven't properly defined a value proposition that strikes the hearts and minds of the people they wanted to talk to. And in some ways it begins with understanding very clearly who you are and what your company's values are, you know, and, and stating those. I, I know so many startups when we would talk to them and we would say, well, so what are your company values, right? Because it plays into the story. Hmm. And they just say, well, you know, we, we drink beers on Thursday nights and, you know, we have a mission statement over the front door. <laughs> Those aren't values. <laughs> you know, values, values are like integrity or creativity. And then from there, how do, how do those values infuse your business processes, right? And that comes out in your story and how you serve customers and how you respond to them and fix problems. And when your CEO is going to get out there and, and admit a mistake because something didn't work, right, rather than shoving it under the rug, like, so startups have a hard time doing that because they're moving so fast. And uh, you might say that those are some of the softer things, right, to, to do to bring a brand, but they are essential. They're the foundation. That's, that's, a, that's a very good point. And um, on, on, on that note, so when should start a startup think about having a PR strategy? Like, what's your take on when should I be considering, okay, let me talk to either a PR agency or at least uh, get myself attuned to this these couple of common tactics? Right. Okay, so there's a two-part answer to that. I mean, first of all, you have to have the basics. You have to have um, a product or a service that works. <laughs> you have yeah. to have at least three or four, a handful of customers who are beyond the um, uh, proof of concept stage, who are actually using it, are paying customers, hmm. um, who might be willing to talk about their experience using the technology um, or why they bought it, right? I mean, th that's table stakes. Um, you know, there are other things that are important, like a vision, um, a, a market, go-to-market strategy, um, an executive team with a with a broad bench um, and good financing to support the effort. Um, but at that point, you know, if you're like a B or a C round venture funded company with these other caveats in place I just mentioned, mm. you know that that would be the time 
to to engage a firm, you know, to help you set strategy and execute. Um, but having said that, the other answer to your question is sometimes companies are such huge disruptors, right? They mm. they need the message out sooner. They want to make a big splash in the market with their strategy and their vision, even though they don't have the actual technology functioning yet. And then it may make sense, right, to start to prime the market, to educate the market about what this disruptive technology means, because it takes a while for a market to embrace it, right, mm. and, to, and to accept it and to understand it even. Um, so there may be cases where you want to start earlier, right, even in a seed round and doing things kind of, you know, very focused, not spray and pray but um, putting some content out there, having your a CEO give a, give a talk at a conference, um, you know, seeing and being seen at, in different venues um, to start to build a little bit of air cover. That may make sense. Um, wonderfully put on. And on, 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 on that note, so um, walk us through some, some, some other, other techniques, some other strategies that, are pretty frugal for a startup to execute and and that will pave way for indulging um, or at least getting the word out while they can or may not be able to afford a, a, a good PR firm. What are some of the some of the easy to adopt techniques as you yeah. rightly pointed out CEO being out there talking and all that fun stuff. So walk us through some of some some other strategies that 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 exist today. Yeah, sure. I mean let's also talk about you know, PR firms, right? They come in all shapes and sizes. There are huge firms that are, you know, global agencies with offices around the world. If you're a startup, do you need that? No. no. Uh, there are mid-sized agencies that sometimes offer more than just public relations. They also can handle your social media or maybe think you might need a video or they have good writing services. And they are sort of like more in the small to medium size range, right? Um, and depending on, on what your goals are, they may be perfect. But if you're a startup and you know, you're a seed round or A round company, and you're still trying to get your beta customers to have a good experience, right? Mm. You don't need an agency. Maybe, maybe you just need a good freelancer or a contractor mm. who has, has been in the industry for a while and can help you start to create some content. You know, even starting to post on LinkedIn, you know, mm. it, um, is, is very useful um, to start to build a, a base level of, of awareness. And then when you're ready to kind of announce that, you know, you're on the map, you have these customers, you have this funding behind you, these are your executives, that's when you want to start to broaden the bench and maybe scale from a contractor freelancer to a, to a small firm. And a small firm might be like three or four people mm. um, and plenty of them now. So there are many different options and you, you have to match the right solution, PR solution to, to where your business is at and the type of business you have as well. Interesting. And um, if, 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 you, if you talk about how much of a startup's um, focus should be or resources should be allocated towards the PR, like do you have any benchmarks that um, a typical startup would should uh, put up set number of resources uh, for their PR effort. Like, do you have any such benchmarks that you could? Yeah, share? I mean, 
That's tough to answer because it depends upon the kind of company you are and what stage you're at. Um, I mean, I, I've seen seed, seed round funded companies spend ten to fifteen thousand dollars a month uh, because it was a B two C play, and they and they need to educate a market about a disruptive technology, so they needed to make that investment. Hmm. Uh, you know, but I but I've also seen like you know three or four thousand dollars a month. Um, until the company has more of its assets in, in place. Um, uh, and sometimes it's not PR at all. You know, sometimes you don't want PR because you don't, you don't want to announce that you have these executives or that you got this funding because the competition will start to sniff around, you know, mm. uh, and, and snoop around and, and maybe make things difficult for you. So sometimes it's it's better to just start to create a little bit of content on LinkedIn, get a few articles published maybe, um, but not start to, to go big and talking to reporters, you know, all the time. Um, so it, it's, it, there is no one size fits all here. Um, um, uh, most, um, you know, I would say most startups start off with, with an in-house person just banging out some copy, right? <laughs> Um, and then you go from there. That's a, that's a fair point. And and I, I I'm curious. So um, in your journey helping out a uh, lot of businesses, can you walk us through some of the success stories where you were impressed with what the startups were doing? Like some of some of the innovative ways they are making themselves, um, their presence felt in the industry, and and if you can walk us through some of some of those cases, if you have anything to share on that. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, uh, some of these examples, you know, might be a little bit uh, older now, um, but there's always a degree of complexity involved with each one of them. So I'll, t I'll take, uh, I'll give you two examples. In the 1990s my, was my first client. It was PeopleSoft, which made HR software, but it was based on a new computing platform, which was called Client Server Computing, right? And they had a more complicated message to tell um, that needed to be urgently told and simplified in order to get customers to want to even take a look because everybody was on a mainframe back then. Mm. And, you know, Pe PeopleSoft was not the safe buy. You know, uh, uh, IBM is the safe buy. And, you know, that saying, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM, right? Um, but what PeopleSoft did and what a lot of other companies back then did was uh, very clearly and simply lead off not with who they were, mm. but how they were doing things differently and what problem they were solving, right? And why that problem was not being solved by other solutions. And by leading with that, they immediately connected with the pain factor that prospects had and were able to draw them in. The second thing they did was um, in creating a new category of enterprise soft, um, they also really leveraged their culture and their values. So PeopleSoft CEO was a man named Dave Duffield who was already an accomplished um, software executive. And he, he really led the charge in Silicon Valley at that time when values and culture were not a thing. Mm. They were not important. 
Um, and he, he really, um, he didn't use it as a marketing strategy on purpose. It was really just who he was. And um, he became known for that. And then it became like, wow, this company's culture is amazing. And they care about their customers so much. Um, they were like the white horse and everybody thought they were the darling. But it was because, because they stood for quality customer service and innovation and because their executive team all kind of embodied the same purpose and vision. Mm. So it was a smashing success, right? Um, other companies use a different approach and they're the dark horse and they sling mud at the competition and you know they um you competitive warfare and guerrilla warfare and you know um and you know and they have a reputation for that it mm. doesn't mean you know that they weren't successful some of them did achieve success with that um but you attract a certain kind of customer that way um and you know it's it's your brand and it's your reputation um and I would give one more example, um, if you like. Um, more recently, Forbes, we know Forbes magazine, they went through a huge transformation of their business from being a you know, print publisher to a digital publishing. And they had to change their entire business model um, in order really to survive, right? And Forbes also had was a family-run business. And... Um, I had kind of a more of a, a reputation that had perhaps stagnated a bit and wasn't fresh or innovative anymore. So they brought along a man named Mike Perlis, who was the first non-family member CEO. And he engineered this, this whole digital transformation and this strategy over a number of years. And the challenge was that we, we had to get the reporters who were being laid off <laughs> to write the story about this, right? Because uh, at that time, right, a lot, a lot of you know companies in the publishing industry were letting go of their their long-standing reporters. You know, USA Today, Dow Jones. I mean, all of these magazines, right? many of them, Fortune, Time, Newsweek. They all shrunk their staff um, as you know the industry changed, and so the challenge was to to find someone who, you know, would take a meeting and would listen to the story that, that we had to tell. Um, so ultimately it was a success because um, the transformation used good technology, the strategy um, was well executed and they were sold to, I believe, a Chinese holding company and the family still owns a, a small percentage of it. Um, so two very different examples, right? But at the end of the day, it all came down to sort of like, what is our strategy? What are our core values? And what are we going to stick to, right? That's important. Um, and it, it takes so much time. It's, it's when you're a startup, you know, you, you just rush, 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 and you, you don't have a degree of time, you know, but, but building a brand and changing market perception takes time and building credibility. And, um, I'm curious. So when someone approached you for, for mm -hmm. they're needing some PR help, they're needing some brand perception uh, built and all, have you ever um, rejected someone saying, no, you are not, you're not designed or you are too hard to deal with? 
like do you have certain <laughs> certain stories that where either the culture is the is is the bottleneck or like help us understand the structure of an organization that's very hard to 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 do the pr for yeah yeah i mean like how much time do you have because i i have so many stories <laughs> like yes absolutely i mean in a way we became sort of like a venture capitalist right you interview your prospects you know to see if their strategy is viable and you know they think oh just you know go make us be larger than life and you know spin the story well like no like mm. when is your product shipping who is using it how much money do you have in the bank sometimes we even asked for their business plan and we spoke to their venture capitalists to understand why they invested in these companies and sometimes yes we turned them down because either their strategy uh we felt was too much like many other companies and it would be too difficult to make them stand out that they they didn't have enough of a differentiating message right um or, or their ideas were simply crazy or unethical right and like there's we thought there's no way we can be successful for you know company abc um because at the end of the day we have to only uh, not only uh protect our own reputation but we present these stories to the to the press mm -hmm. and to analysts with whom we have very hard won and trusted relationships and you know, you can blow it with one company um so we we have to give them you know good information so they can do their jobs too um and there were times we fired clients i mean uh clients who where there was ceo turnover or they were abusive to the staff um you know during the recession when money was tight i had no problem saying you know see ya mm -hmm. uh because you don't get to treat my people that way so yeah interesting and, and so recently recently we have heard horror stories with companies like we work we, we have heard hard hard stories like with companies with uber so mm -hmm. what is the role of a pr firm then so is it uh, so i i'm i'm curious to understand so is it always about on a on a firefighting mode crisis management or it could it could be an inward focusing uh, focused as well where it can say okay no you i'll give you two years to fix this till we must like walk us through some of like what is how could um a, a business engage with pr firm through when they are going through this inner um reflections um as as they're progressing in in a crisis mode or just in general in 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 general and and they know there's something going on which might turn out tomorrow it's not out yeah. yet right okay so i mean we in in those situations right you have to really get to know the company and you have to get under their skin and peel back the onion like what's really going on here uh and like when we would have a client that would say well sabrina you don't really need to know about all that and i'm thinking like oh yes i do <laughs> and right so so you have to really understand like i hate this phrase but like what their dirty laundry is right because mm -hmm. then you have to do crisis planning and we all learned from the pandemic right nobody ever expected that we would have a covid um but it's a great example of how you have to be prepared for the unimaginable and it can happen at any time right 
It can be an earthquake. There could be a huge cyber attack, right? And you have to have, uh, or, or a company has a, a product defect that it's hiding and it might come out, right? You have to have crisis plans in place for what you're going to do when that happens. And this is quite a process, right? I mean, you involve your board, your leadership team, you have contingency plans, business continuity plans, and many boards um, require that these are submitted, right, to a governance committee. When you're a startup, you know, you don't have to go to those lengths, but you still have to think through what are you going to do, you know, if you, if you can't do business or your people suddenly have to work from home. Um, or, you know, the product isn't working uh, and one of your customer uh, posts that uh, on social media. Mm. What are you going to do? So uh, you have these plans in place um, and it's a blueprint, right? It's a foundation from, from which you might then operate. And when a crisis is actually unfolding, you're revising that plan in real time. And sometimes you revise your plan every day because reality is like happening in real time right so um sometimes you just want to get to tomorrow forget about next month <laughs> right and i i think that that's what um you know a lot of a lot of companies small businesses had to do during covid because the information was constantly changing um but all that being said, one of the basic things that entrepreneurs and CEOs can do for their startups is to develop a QA. and a um, And what that means is, what is the list of the questions you don't want to get? <laughs> the ones that will make you squirm in your seat that you don't want to answer. You have to be prepared to answer them. You have to come up with an answer. And it's not no comment and I'll get back to you later, right? You, you have to think through what you would say in that, in that case. Um, and you, you know, make sure you have your legal counsel involved if necessary, you know, a, a PR person, right? But so then what you have is like a, a, a basic construct mm -hmm. where you hope for the best, plan for the worst, and you have the confidence that you can sort of navigate somewhere in the middle. And, I mean, for any any company these days, after what we've just been through with COVID, I would recommend that you that you really think about that if you're a founder. I think that's a that's a fascinating idea and and scary to 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 yeah. pick out take out. Um, I think that's uh, great thoughts. So now let's 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 come to the meat of the stuff. So uh, make it, don't fake it. By the way, very clever title. Um, mm -hmm. Walk us through the history. Why why title it this way? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I think if you you look at my career, right? I'm was a 29 year old CEO with no leadership management training, uh, and I'm I'm starting a company. I was one of very few female CEOs in Silicon Valley then, um, trying to grow my own company and offering benefits and solving problems and you know growing an operation, expanding geographically, offering new services. But I was also a PR advisor to so many other executives and saw the, prob the leadership problems that they were dealing with. Mm. And you kind of see that from two lenses, right? And it was all about helping them be successful or helping my company be successful. And the number of times 
we took a left turn, you know, they or the client faked it or, you know, even procrastinating and delaying a decision can create a bigger problem for yourself, right, than taking action. And so I, I just, it's my, it's my life story, right? And so I felt like the worst thing that you can do as an entrepreneur or a CEO or, you know, all the Gen Zers, the millennials building their careers, right, is to operate, you know, with some sort of, you know, other, other form of reality. Like you have to operate with integrity and authenticity. And the phrase fake it till you make it is the worst business advice I've ever heard. Um, so that my book is designed to give you examples of how to be successful and avoid that trap. Interesting. And um, I think well said, because I even, um, so as, 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 as we discussed a few minutes back, so if you talk to a PR company, many times they, they are the wizard, they're the wizardry in, in, in your perception, right? Sometimes they are doing things, making it happen, making you shine way brighter than what your actually shine should have been or you should have so so what what are you suggesting on that so are, are is your recommendation that um exaggeration is wrong or like what 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 are you trying to communicate through this book i i am i'm curious to understand yeah so uh so in my book i i outline like there's a spectrum of ways you can fake it from the innocent to total fraud and deception, right? And most of us operate sort of somewhere in the middle, maybe, right? And so what, what does that look like? You know, it's the entrepreneur who exaggerates what his technology can do to the venture capitalist to get funding. It's the salesperson who uh, overpromises what um, you know, the product can do to a customer. Um, you know, it's the person who's applying for a job and they put down, they went to some university that they never went to, right? It happens a lot. Mm. And what, what happens in those, most of those cases, right? The VC will discover through due diligence that the technology does not perform as promised. The customer is going to find out that the product doesn't work as promised, right? And the employer, the HR department is going to you know, do some checking and they'll find out that the person lied on their resume. So in all of those cases, right, you're going to be exposed and faking it, exaggerating the truth, um, omitting the truth, right, or minimizing the truth, not telling the whole story, right? It's going, you're going to be exposed. And while you're waiting to be exposed, you're going to be living with the, uh, with the anxiety and the knowledge, right, that you lied, basically. And um, so, so the point is like, that's never a good idea, right? Like think in another example, why would you want to go see a dentist to get your wisdom teeth removed to a dentist who faked, you know, his, his education or his training? Why would you want to go to a lawyer who faked, uh, cheated on his bar exam, right? Why would you want to get married to a person who's a fraud? Right. I mean, it just like, why you're going to be exposed It's a total waste of time. And, it, you know, you, you lose your reputation or, you know, in the case of Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, you know, we know what happened to her. Right. Bernie Madoff uh, with his Ponzi scheme. I mean, he he died, passed away a few uh, weeks ago. But, you know, it's just not a good idea. 
तो सो सो हेल्प मी अंडरस्टैंड सो इज फेकिंग इट लाइंग सो वॉट इज from from your vantage point what is fake and what is what is a lie i i'm i'm curious yeah. yeah so you don't have to lie in order to fake it right i mean there's um uh i have this diagram it's called the fakeometer <laughs> <laughs> the fakeometer starts with like you're just acting as if you're telling a little white lie when somebody you know says you know do i look good in this dress and your and your husband says oh yeah sure you look great you know like it's harmless um but um you know then you cross the line when you start to um lie or change the truth at the expense of someone else sometimes though you can fake it and you're not lying here's an example uh during the internet uh bubble and then bust of 2000 and 2001 there were so many companies hundreds of companies right who had business models that just were not sustainable they hadn't been thought through and at that time i was uh 8 months pregnant with my second daughter christina and uh, we were losing clients left and right i mean it was collateral damage everywhere because these startups were shutting down overnight mm-hmm. or they you know cut back their budgets and this business i worked so hard to build started to shrink in in front of me and i just i just couldn't handle it i was overwhelmed i looked the other way i pretended it would all get better and i was faking it because i wasn't dealing with reality so my point is you don't have to lie to to be faking it right you can also be an entrepreneur who just simply doesn't know what to do and you're not dealing with reality so you're not making the right business decisions and putting your company and its employees at risk that's that's a very interesting point so so uh, when you were talking about um, the idea of faking it so i i was uh, thinking of this one conversation i had this with um, a ceo of a unicorn company uh, decently successful and and we were talking about um, uh, this uh, i think uh, Theranos situation that that we we, we talked about. Uh, it, the recently news came out. It was it was all fad. It was all baloney, right? And I and I I I was talking to him and I said, okay, how do you interpret this, right? So you have a successful company. You have achieved whatever you have achieved. You have asked for big promises. You are sub delivering uh, some of those promises. But obviously, so so he gave me a very interesting perspective. He said, Vishal, you know what? What is entrepreneurship in general? He said, like our as as an entrepreneur, our job is it's like a trapeze trapeze artist, right? So you jump, and you hope by the time you land, there's an on the other side a ledge waiting for you to to grab. Okay. And he said that's a pretty wild uh, way to describe it. But says isn't isn't that uh, if if you look at look at any so we are raising 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 and then we look for either an exit or a perception or a acquisition which justifies that we we stand on the ground that we portray and many of the businesses he was suggesting are built on this this ideology right create a buzz then justify the buzz then create further buzz and so it's like a it's 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 like a fabulous pr hack uh, where so so he he said that now imagine from from elizabeth's point of view right maybe what she was trying to do is sort of achievable and she's just hurdling herself to make it happen before she get caught 
and mm-hmm. had she been able to deliver on and, and and he was saying that and in my journey i was elizabeth um, uh, at some point in my journey as well where some of the things i know i'm pushing it but i have this faint feeling that maybe i can achieve it so what what is your take as a peer executive listening to this rant yeah i mean that it's a really important question right because sometimes you do have to put yourself out there to create a buzz right on the come that you know what you're doing is is going to to do what everything that you've said i think where you you cross the line is where you become sort of delusional right mm. i mean uh you know i did not work for her mm. i only know uh, all the reports and the documentaries right that we've all seen uh, and the wall street journal story that exposed her mm. you know it got to the point where i mean i, I think she, she literally was delusional and lying to her funders that this machine edison mm. could could do right, what she said and then in fact when it was installed i think at walgreens or in in a few locations right it failed miserably um and so you, you know there's there's a line that mm. you cross you know where you go from creating anticipation of something wonderful right and you have to deliver you have to deliver and if you and if you can't then you have to be honest and you have to say you know the technology needs continued improvement or you know we found in certain cases right that this vaccine doesn't work <laughs> and for people right and so you know we have to take a step back and do further research before we go forward and so like then you have to ask yourself would you rather be honest and admit a mistake and take a step back versus keep pushing forward and sort of basically lying and faking it and then risk being exposed right mm. wouldn't you rather be honest and admit a mistake and not go to prison right <laughs> <Nice. laughs> that's a- then 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 keep you know <laughs> lying to people and deceiving them and and committing a crime i mean as i would take the lesser of two evils which is mm. you know being honest um but sometimes you know you get so caught up in everything and you just don't see it and you know you think oh no 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 we'll do it we'll do it we'll get it done we'll get it done and um you know that's when you need to surround yourself with people who are going to call bs on you and and tell you you know that you just have to stop uh, interesting and and as 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 um so um, on on this idea of make it don't fake it so um in the era of sensational news short lived burst uh, uh the idea of getting it viral the idea of getting it sensationalized so you get some some pr blip um in 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 the universe so how hard it is to um to not get tempted um uh, in 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 basically going berserk about about your faking it aspect so what's what's your take on on what on like when you when right. you so so when... so basically as an industry so now you know that you would have a very uh, small burst of shelf uh, life when it comes a uh, news is having a smaller shelf life nowadays than it used to because we are used to this constantly bombardment of uh, dopamine inducing sensational news 
So mm-hmm. that means you have to create the sensational impacts pretty quick. Yeah. And many times realities are boring. Many times the realities, if not told right, could. So what's, what is your take? Like how hard it is today to yeah. stay, as you said, um, make it, don't fake it. Like how, how hard it is nowadays compared to maybe 15 years back or 20 years back or 10 years back. Yeah, so a, a couple of points on that. Number one, I think um, today the concept of being honest and operating with integrity is sort of a novelty that in and of mm-hmm. itself stands out, unfortunately, and is yeah. right? And somebody who comes out and says, look, you know, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And this is reality. This is, this is where we are today. But here is where we're headed. And here are the three things we're going to do. And, you know, we may not like that, but it's the truth. And, you know, and here's the path forward, right? I think people really want that. And I think it stands out because it's it's different from what we've been used to. The second thing um, is that uh, because of um, the current trend, the wonderful trend towards diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and also because of COVID, there is a, a very big demand for a sense of belonging and for the word empathy people are using all the time. And, uh, you know, it's, I don't want to belabor that more because everybody's talking about it. Uh, I think it comes down to what I call love-based marketing as opposed to fear-based marketing. And that is that you are in your communication, in your language, in your gestures, mm. uh, in your vocabulary, you reflect how people are feeling. And so they feel that they're being heard and understood and being empathized with, right? Mm. And that buying a certain product or buying a certain service will make them feel better. It mm. will make them feel somehow that they belong to what that brand represents. or that they will um, be happier or feel safer as opposed to what we've been so accustomed to, which is if we don't do this, bad things are going to happen. If you don't buy this product, if you don't sign up with me, if you don't buy my program, you know, the market's going to crash. You're going to lose all your savings. You're going to lose your home. Right. And that's fear-based marketing. So I think you know, at the end of the day, you have to have a unique value proposition. You have to offer something that is a value that people will pay money for and that will work, right? But around that, there these are the two things that I think can help uh, cut through the noise. No, I think so. Uh, so one thing I find really fascinating about uh, about reading your book uh, was this. I think this idea, as you rightly said, that being honest and being real, being genuine, being love first is such a novelty today that if someone tries to just practice the very fact that they are practicing makes them stand out. Pretty, I think so. When I was reading, I said many of the things that many of as us as a business don't say or don't show, which clearly we should. Right. If if you have if you if you empathize. If you have uh, uh, that side of, of your business where you really want to impact change and make someone's life better, 
being out there and talking about and even if you're struggling i think many of i was talking to someone about um, so the entire open source community is built around this idea of being vulnerable being saying okay i feel about this problem do you feel that too can we collaborate on that problem so that whole idea of that uh, no no customer would run away it's such a it's such a refreshing thought that if you make yourself vulnerable sometime you get this idea that you are the real company that someone yeah. is seeking so yes. i think that's a, that's a fascinating um, uh, i i definitely love um, loved your book and how it is laying out those those golden nuggets and 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 yeah. it's pretty pretty fascinatingly done well i thank you i i mean i um i will say one thing i was talking to a young woman the other day about my book and she said you know you actually like make me feel like relieved because now i don't have to fake it really and that faking it is is actually wrong like it's stressful to fake it yeah because you know because you you have to think about how you're going to maneuver a, situ- a situation and manipulate a situation and it doesn't feel good so um anyway i think that's fascinating so um with that uh, thank you uh, for for walking us through this idea of uh, making it and 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 don't faking it and uh, so now we're at, at a section let's we call it rapid fire so okay. basically we want to spend some time in um capturing your thoughts on some some areas and all we require is maybe a word or a one quick sentence of what things that comes out um, so we, we see what we see uh, basically mind of a pr okay so um, i'll say a few words and see whatever comes to your mind and then obviously you can remember since all you want so okay uh, business business um the application of ideas to solve problems that people will pay money for entrepreneur mm. the heartbeat of america leadership leadership oh so many definitions uh leadership is um the um the ability to make the right decision at the right time based on reality for the greater good and often in the face of tremendous change uh but it is also the ability to motivate people to achieve a common goal culture culture the soul of a company pr nightmare <laughs> oh god where do you want to start ah <laughs> uh, dolce gabbana we work um Volkswagen, Boeing, Max, uh um uh the uh, AstraZeneca, J&J vaccine issues things that keep you up at night. <laughs> well, it used to be my employees and my clients. Uh now now it's my dogs. Um what keeps me up at night is um this the notion that people think that they can achieve success by by faking it and these are the 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 leaders of tomorrow of future companies is something that has to change success success um success is uh achieving goals that make a positive difference failure failure 
failure is uh, any kind of hate, any kind of hatred and selfishness um, and, um, and not being, uh, being unkind. Being authentic. Sleeping well at night. <laughs> being being honest and true. Yes, having tough conversations. Destiny. Oh, destiny. Uh, destiny is what uh, people will say to us, describe us when we are gone. That was deep. Um, make it, don't fake it. Oh. Um, Leading with authenticity for real business success. <laughs> so that that that's the that's the true PR in you. It just jumped out. Yes, for the win. That's my step, my baby. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, thank you for playing that. Uh, so now at, at the tail end of the conversation, and I want to f- spend a few minutes on you on you. So okay. we ask all of our guests to share some of the qualities that has helped shape become what they have become. So some of the, some of your qualities that has helped you in your success, what would you attribute? What are those qualities? All right. I would say um, maybe two or two or three. I mean, uh, number one would be um, having options, always developing options, planning for the worst crisis planning, short-term planning, uh, revising planning, like, if you don't have any options, you, you know, you're, you're screwed. You, you know, you've got to have somewhere to go. Um, so being a good planner and coming up with options is, is key. And I think the second one is being open-minded and um, always being curious, sort of destroying fear, uncertainty, and doubt with knowledge and information to be confident and, and to, you know, pick, pick the right pick the right door. Awesome. And and um, we ask all of our guests to share some of the books that they, that has helped them sh- shape, uh, become what they have become. Like what, can you share some of your favorite books or any book that you're reading currently? I wonder. Oh. Um, I mean, my, one of my most favorite books is um, by Ben Horowitz, who is a serial entrepreneur and, um, venture partner at Andreessen Horowitz. And he, he actually wrote two books, but my favorite is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Um, I, I really love that book. Um, and then I would say um, Crossing the Chasm from Jeffrey Moore uh, for entrepreneurs and anybody in tech is, is just like, you know, the Bible of, of go-to-market strategy. And then Good to Great by Jim Collins. Um, I, I really love the message of his book. Awesome. So one w- one funny funny story about uh, it's still true. So uh, hard things about hard things. So whenever I go to a bookstore to get a book and I see that book, I pick it up and I put it on the horror section. So I have this. <laughs> it's such a it's such a fa- I don't know like why he wrote this is fascinating. I think it's I I agree. It's a it's a, if you're an entrepreneur. And that, that's the, that's the, yeah, that's a Stephen, um, yeah, it's, it's a horror book, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really spoke to me because it, it's, everything about it is so true, you know? Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. So now, last but not the least, so um, as a parting thought, if you want something our listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation, 
what would that be what would be your closing closing thought oh well you know i think um i'll just keep it simple and short i mean i building a business is the greatest uh, form of self-expression of a lifetime and and it's a wonderful journey and it's you want to make it the best journey possible and my my advice is to just always lead with integrity and authenticity even if it's harder it's harder to be to be operating with integrity because it requires you to be dealing with reality and uh, sometimes reality can be very harsh but in the end you'll be much more successful if you operate that way i think beautifully put with that sabrina thank you so much for your time and wish you nothing but success on the book and 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 to our listeners and viewers very few times uh, if if you if you read uh, work coming out from the pr uh, executives and people who have lived their life in the pr world seldom anyone talk about being authentic and sort of it's just it's always about how to grapple this sensationalist bubble that you can quickly gap clap around and many times it sends you in the wrong direction or maybe yes. more expensive direction that it's very hard to return so i think it was what i found fascinating is that uh, in your book is it's still possible to do things in a in a in a in a rational and realistic way and it's cleaner it's not it it as you rightly said you can sleep easy so with yeah. that thank you so much for all, all you are doing and couldn't appreciate you enough for the book and thank you so much oh thank you vishal i really enjoyed the the conversation thank you so much awesome i was home sick never really knew that i would have to grow up so quick